You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Hey, Hill City Church, welcome. So glad you're joining us online today. I am Jake, our associate pastor here. I oversee our worship and our life groups, and I'm so excited to be uh, preaching the Word of God uh, to you today. But compared to last week's sermon, I'm just going to go ahead and adjust your expectations, make sure they're set properly. Uh, Family Pastor Andrew not only killed it, but he had nine props, uh, mad props for all the props. And I want to set your expectations today. I have one ninth of the amount of props that Family Pastor Andrew had. So um, you can probably expect this sermon to be about as one-ninth as good, um, but just wanted to set that from the start. A few months ago, uh, before we started Ephesians, uh, J- Pastor Andrew, Pastor Josh just laid out before us the whole series and said, okay, pick your passage, Andrew, Jake, pick the one you want to do. I'm looking through Ephesians, seeing, okay, what are the titles? What are they all labeled as? And I see one, and it's called Walk in Love. I'm like, Boom. That one's mine. I want that. I call it. It's mine. Walk in love. Ephesians 5. I got it. So pretty stoked about that because my last sermon was on love. uh, John 13. Love it. And so I thought, hey, let's keep the theme going. You got to love love, right? And a good uh, sermon on love is, uh, is is a good thing to do. So I was like, okay, let's go for it. However, last week, as I started to prepare for this, I finally cracked it open, which I probably should have done in the first place, and I said, okay, what do we got here? Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. That's nice. It's very lovely. Uh, Verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality. Okay, not quite what I was expecting going on. Verse 4, no filthiness. Okay. Verse 6, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience. This, that's not what I signed up for. You know, Josh probably tricking me. Okay, walk in love. That's what he puts us as. And uh, just wanted to let give you the heads up. It's going to get gnarly today. Didn't really understand what I was getting myself into, but I chose this. Kind of duped myself, a little self-dupe, but here we are. Um, as I said, this, this chapter does open really wonderfully, very lovely in saying, walk in love. Um, Be like God in this way. And so as we begin here, let me ask you, have you ever heard someone say to you, oh, that's so much like your dad? Or that reminds me so much of your mom. Or uh, you're just like your parents in that way. And maybe you're like, eh, thanks. You know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. But whether or not it is a compliment to you as an adult, the reality is we all wanted to be like our parents when we were just kids. We want to be like our dad. We want to be like our mom. We, we imitated them. We mimicked them. We did the things that they did because kids inherently want to imitate their parents in one way or another. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, my parents got me a fake shaving kit. This is my one and only prop this sermon. Uh, it was complete with the shaving cream a brush, the shaving brush, the shaving cream, and then a little razor, a fake one, not this one. Uh, but I, as a little kid, I still have the memory, like just standing next to my dad as he's shaving in the mirror, for real, because he has a manly beard. 
and I'm standing next to him with my fake stuff. I put the, the shaving cream on and then I take my fake razor and I, I remove the shaving cream. Nothing comes off, obviously. Baby smooth skin, still have it. Unfortunately, did not get my dad's jeans, more of my mom's in that area. But really what it comes down to is that old saying, like father, like son, right? I'm looking up at my dad, seeing what he's doing and I'm mimicking him, I'm imitating him like father, like son. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics, but there is an Olympian uh, named Matthew Centrowitz Jr. And he is running the 1500 meter race in Tokyo uh, during this Olympics. And on his chest is tattooed that saying, like father, like son. And it's because his dad was also an Olympic athlete in the Montreal Games, uh, in the Montreal Olympics in 1976. His dad was a, a very accomplished runner. Uh, he even, uh, he, he went to University of Oregon. He even beat Steve Prefontaine's 1500 meter record in 1976, the same year he went to the Olympics. Uh, he also several years later broke the American record in the 5K with a time of 13 minutes, 12 seconds. Just utterly insane. And so if you can imagine little Matthew Jr. growing up and seeing his dad just break all these records, be such an accomplished athlete and going to the Olympics. And then in 2016, he gets his chance. In 2016, he goes to the Olympic Games in Rio and he not only got to fo uh, follow in his father's footsteps, but he also won gold. And he was the first uh, to win gold in that race, the 1500 meter race, the same race that his dad raced in the Olympics. He was the first one to win it for America since 1908. And so he has that, that chest tattoo that says like father, like son. And in our passage today, we're gonna see what our father in heaven is like, that we might be like him, like father, like child, like father, like son, or daughter. That's what we're going to see in our passage today. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read the whole lengthy passage and then just kind of break it up uh, line by line here. But Ephesians 5, 1 through 14, here's what it says. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is an idolater, who ha they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, 
and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So the first thing that we see in this passage, verse 1, is that we are called to be imitators of God as his beloved children. Paul's saying imitate God, not in order to become one of his children, no, but because you already are. You've been adopted as a son or a daughter, as a child of God, and you are loved. That's just a fact. That's just the truth. That's what scripture says about you if you are in Christ. And so as his child, the call is to imitate him as our father. As a child of God, the command is to imitate. And the Greek word for imitate is mimetes. It means to imitate, to act like, to copy, to mimic. And it's where we get our word mime from, mimetes, mime. Uh, in our freshman year of college, Josh and I went to school together. Uh, he and I were actually mimes for this event that our school was having. And we just ran around like copying, um, imitating people. And I'm pretty sure they thought it was uh, very annoying. We found it very amusing, very fun. Uh, but that's what mimes do, right? Like they imitate, they mimic. That's where we get this word. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in the message. He says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. So that's the call to us, is to watch God, do what he does, be influenced by him, imitate him. And the reality is that all of us, every single one of us, are imitating someone. Whether we're imitating God or not, maybe you're imitating an Instagram influencer, maybe a YouTuber, or a politician, or a celebrity, or an actor, somebody, you name it. We all imitate someone. And that if it's not God, if it's not Jesus, if it's not people who look like Jesus, then often what that's going to do is it's going to start to make us into somebody else, right? Somebody who doesn't look like God or resemble him, have the family resemblance. And so the call is to imitate, copy, mimic God himself and bear that family resemblance. You're not a child of the world. You're a child of God. And accordingly, that's how you live. You imitate him. You look to him. And really, that's, that's kind of the main idea of this text. That's our main point for today. And I usually don't like to give away the main point, the big idea right up front. I usually like to go more inductive, which means we lay that out at the very end. And inductive is a little more seductive, in my opinion. But today, we got to go deductive because that's where this text is. It's really going to help us frame the whole thing and understand it. And so our big idea for today is that God's children act like him. God's children act like him. God's children watch what he does. God's children read about what he says, and they say what he says. They do what he does. They don't do what he doesn't do. They imitate his character. They copy his actions. They act like him. God's children bear that family resemblance. When other people look at them, they see God in them. And the reality is that we are his beloved children. He's our father. And if we look deep inside of ourselves, like one of our greatest longings is to be like him, right? To be looking up at him with our fake razor in hand and, and learning how to, to be like him and to copy his actions. And what we want is to please him and for him to be proud of us. Like that's, that's really the longing 
of our heart when we think about who God is as our Father. And so the question from here is, how do we do it, right? If the call, if the command is to imitate God, to act like Him, to be like Him, then how do we do it? Well, Paul goes on in this chapter to tell us one of the primary characteristics of God. And if we want to know what God is like, we have to look at His Word and see what He reveals about Himself and then imitate and copy that. So verse 2, he starts by saying, walk in love. Right? There's two characteristics that, God is get, that Paul is going to reveal about what we are, about who God is and what we are called to do in response. So the first one is walk in love. Characteristic of God, he is love, right? As 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. And so as he is love, we are to walk in love. That is the command. Now, when we, when we read a command like that, walk in love, live a life of love, as another translation says, I think one of our initial reactions is to be like, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to love, just like the scripture calls me to, just like God calls me to, just like what God does. And what we end up finding is pretty quickly that our love begins to run out, right? Our love kind of gets tired. It can turn sour. It can turn inward on itself. And so what's the remedy? Like, how do we actually love like God loves? How do we actually walk in love? Well, the answer is this, time. The more time that you spend with God, the more that you receive his love as you spend time in his presence. And the more you receive his love, the more love you have to give, right? Because you can't give what you don't have. And so when you spend time in God's presence, you are receiving his love, and then you will have the supply of divine love to give to others as you walk in love. Uh, this love, uh, however, is not just like any type of love. It's not anything that the world has to say about love. It is a divine love, a very specific love. It's called agape love, and it's based on who Christ is and what he's done for us. Uh, he says in this verse, love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is actually the exact same type of language that Paul uses later in this chapter when he talks about husbands loving their wives. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so our standard for love is set by Christ in his sacrifice. This is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that doesn't expect or demand anything in return, but gives freely and gives generously. This type of love is so counter to our culture and the world around us, isn't it? Because the world says, you know what? Love is a feeling. Love is a sexual act. Love is only given when it's deserved. Love is letting other people do whatever they want and live their truth. Love is love, right? But when we look at Jesus, we see something very different about his love. It's a love that doesn't resemble the world, but a love that resembles our Father in heaven. And it's that type of selfless, sacrificial, cross-shaped, agape love that, that Paul is saying, this is what we are to mimic and to imitate as we look to God. This is what his love looks like. David Benner in his book, Surrender to Love, says this. He says, the cross 
invites us to take the risk of losing our life so that we might truly find it. Christ teaches us that love is setting aside one's life for another. This was how he, Christ, loved God. The life of love is a life of death to the kingdom of self. Man, such good words. The kingdom of self is completely antithetical to the kingdom of God, to acting like God, to imitating him, to becoming like him, to loving like he loves. And that kingdom of self is now what Paul is going to address in these following verses. So in verse 3, this is what he says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Or as the message says, don't allow love to turn into lust, uh, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. So first, if we want to act like God by walking in love, he lists, Paul lists three things of what not to do. This is, these are three things that are not a part of God's character, not a part of his actions or behavior, and therefore, this is how we ought to not live. Three unloving practices. Ready? Number one, sexual immorality. Two, filthy practices. Three, greed. So let me break a few of these words down for just a moment. I'll start with greed. The Greek word for greed is pleonexia, which kind of sounds like a prescription, doesn't it? It's like, ask your doctor if pleonexia is right for you, you know? Like, pleonexia may cause hardness of heart, lack of contentment, and, um, and death. You know, they always, like, end in death. It's like, okay, that's tragic. But the Logos lexicon defines greed in this way. A person who is excessively and immoderately desirous of acquiring more and more. Such a good definition. That can relate to anything, right? It can relate to money, to material possessions, uh, to power, to cars, to home, to sneakers, to sex, to followers, you name it. They're acquiring the desire for more and more. And our culture is obsessed with getting more, having more, wanting more, and being greedy. Like greed in our culture is really not even a sin, right? But, God's, but Paul says that greed is not a part of God's character, and it's not a part of his actions. Therefore, it ought not to be part of yours as you act like him, as one of his children. That's the first word, greed. Um, the other word that I want to address here is the Greek word for sexual immorality, which is porneia. And it's obviously the Greek word from which we get our English word porn, right? But really, it's an all-encompassing word that covers any sexual sin or any sexual act outside the loving bounds of marriage. And our 21st century Western American society is obsessed with sex and sexuality, sexualizing everything and everyone. It's an idol in our culture that we hold up high and that we bow down in worship to. Sexual immorality is just like the water that we swim in here. It's the air that we breathe. And yet that air is toxic. It's harmful. It's polluted. But that's not just America, right? That's kind of just the world. And that's how the world has always been. The world really hasn't changed much. In fact, Kyle Snodgrass, Bible scholar, he says this, uh, concerning our passage here. He says, sexual attitudes in the ancient Greco-Roman world were similar to today's. 
men had various sexual outlets as long as they did not commit adultery against another man's marriage. Oh, wow, that's a good bar to set. Uh, A famous statement illustrates the laxity. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. Cicero wrote approvingly of the legitimacy and antiquity of young men having affairs with prostitutes. Prostitution, homosexuality, bisexuality were common, and slaves were often abused sexually. Lax sexual standards do not fit with Christianity, whether in the first or in the 21st century. I could not agree more. And unfortunately, Christians have really begun to look like the world around us and become lax about sexuality. Um, looking like the culture, affairs, sleeping together before marriage, living together, watching sexually explicit entertainment, habitually watching porn, and so on. Uh, I remember one of my college students when I was doing college ministry had recently come to Christ, and we're talking about the scriptures, talking about the Bible, talking about his life. And he said, you know, I, I love reading the Bible. Like, it really helps me to connect with God. He's like, but one of the things that just seems like kind of outdated and antiquated is like what it has to say about sex. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, it's not. Secondly, that's kind of the just uh, mindset that many Christians have come to adopt. It's a cultural mindset. It's not a scriptural mindset. And here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that God doesn't want to shame you. Okay, when we're talking about this, maybe feelings of shame arise for you. God doesn't want to shame you because shame only contributes to the cycle of sexual sin. He wants to offer you forgiveness. He wants to offer you grace. He wants to offer you power to keep moving forward in the fight for you. God is your loving father and he wants the best for you and the people around you. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I took art, art classes pretty much every semester of high school. I loved it. Uh, and in one of those classes that first year, uh, I sat with this guy named Luke and his friends. And they're a wild bunch. And they're always sharing the craziest stories about this party and that party. And these girls are hooking up with. And these things are drinking or smoking or whatever. And as a freshman in high school, I'm like, dude, this is kind of cool, Right. Very dumb. Um, but I remember one day, it was actually just him and I at the table. We're drawn and stuff. And he's telling me about one of his latest parties. And he's like, yeah, my dad doesn't really care what I do. And I said, dude, that's so cool. I wish my parents didn't care what I did. And then he looked up at me, stopped drawing. And in all seriousness, he said, I wish my dad cared. And... That just stopped me in my tracks and just kind of helped me to think about like, wow, my parents are awesome. They actually do care about me with these boundaries they're putting up in my life so I don't hurt myself or hurt other people, right? And so we have a father who actually does care. That's why these things matter is because if you know that when you've stepped out of these bounds of sexuality, that God is, these boundaries that God has put in place, you know that it only leads to brokenness and to hurt and to things in our lives that bring us and other people pain. And God doesn't want that for us. And God is the creator of sex, and it is good as long as it's within the proper boundaries of marriage like he instituted and set it up and designed. And so when we go outside of those things, he knows that's going to hurt us. And so as a loving father, he comes around us 
and cares about us. Uh, if you're struggling, I just want you to know you're not alone. Uh, we even have groups here at the church devoted to helping people break uh, the cycle of sexual sin in their life. Uh, a resource that is really good for this, specifically if you're struggling with porn, is called How to Quit Porn. Uh, pretty self-explanatory title there by a, name, a guy named Brett McKay. Uh, it's not necessarily a Christian book, but he is a Christian guy. And I've taken, it's a very short practical read. I've taken several students uh, through it before. It's one that I'd recommend but this is the heart of the Father. He loves us, and this is why He's saying, these are the things you should not do so that you don't go down that path and end up getting hurt. So Paul gives us three things here that are not of God's character, not of His behavior. Sexual sin, impurity, and greed. If you want to act like God as one of His children, if you want to walk in love, these are the things not to do. And Paul goes on to give us three more things that are not a part of God's character, that are unloving practices. In verse 4, uh, pick up your text again. This is what he says. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So Paul gives us these three unloving practices uh, that are not a part of God's character or action. And here they are. Number one, filthy speech, foolish talk, crude joking, or dirty jokes. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here. In high school and in early college, dirty jokes were my first language. They're like my native tongue. I mean, I'm pretty sure I had neural pathways dedicated to dirty joking. And my friends and I would always try to outdo each other in the next dirty joke and after college, I remember that slowly started to fade, or towards the end of college, it started to fade out of my life. And I remember one of my friends who I hadn't seen in about a year or so, uh, he said, dude, you don't tell as many dirty jokes anymore. And I was like, yes, I do. It was like a badge of honor, some weird thing I had to defend. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, actually, I, I don't, and that's probably a good thing. And so the more I have followed Christ, the less filthy language, crude joking has come out of my mouth. And that's just what happens the more you imitate Christ. Now, does this mean that we never tell a joke again? Obviously not. Josh, Andrew, and I, all your pastors are jokesters, just to let you know that. So we're, we're not saying jokes are bad, but the emphasis is, is on dirty joking and filthy language, sinful language. And you may not think that these things are that big of a deal, that they don't really affect you. But what happens when these things become a part of our lives is that we just begin to be desensitized to it. And then that allows these sinful thoughts to take up residence in our minds. And then those become part of our thought patterns. And then that becomes part of our language. And then the way that we speak to one another. You know, have you ever had one of those moments where like a dirty joke or, or a bad word or something just kind of slipped out of your mouth and you're like, oh, I uh, didn't mean to say that. Where did that come from? Well, the reality is, where did it come from? It was already in there. It was already a part of your mind, a part of the way that you speak, the part of the way that you think, and it came out because it is in there. And remember this, that Paul is writing the book of Ephesians within this context of unity and community. In Ephesians 4, 29, this is what he says about our language this is what uh, Pastor Andrew spoke on last week. He said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. And so are the words that you're saying, are the jokes that you're telling, are they building up 
the body of Christ or are they degrading the body of Christ? Right? Like that, that's why these things matter, the things that we say. It's about community and unity and building one another up. And so what is the solution here when it comes to, you know, these filthy jokes or language, sinful language? Like maybe you're thinking, I don't even know how to get out of this. Like this is just kind of part of my language and I don't know how to stop it. Right. Well, Paul gives a solution. He says, give thanks. Instead of these things, let there be thanksgiving. Let your attitude be Gratitude And gratitude is scientifically proven to rewire your brain and change the way that you actually think. And so you can either train your brain to develop neural pathways that lead to your mouth expelling these filthy words and foolishness, or you can train your brain in gratitude to naturally give thanks, to be thankful. And so overall, Paul's given us six unloving, ungodly practices that are not part of God's character. They're not a part of his behavior. And as his children, these are the things that we don't do as we look to him and try to act like him. And then he gives us two very serious warnings after these first four verses. In five and six, this is, this is what the apostle Paul has to say. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so he issues two very serious warnings. For people who are devoted to sin in these ways, they will not inherit the kingdom of God and they will experience the wrath of God, that's the end result of sin, the end of that path. Now, Paul, he's giving a very stark contrast here between believers and unbelievers, uh, between those who are saved by Christ and those who remain in sin. The contrast is not between perfect Christians and then those Christians who are struggling. That's not the contrast here because the reality is there is no perfect Christian uh, we're all struggling with one of these six things or six of these six things. We're all struggling. There is no perfect Christian. But he is saying, is your life characterized by these sins or is it characterized by holiness? Because God is holy and as his children, we act like him by pursuing holiness. Uh, R.C. Sproul has a good quote, theologian, he has a good quote on God's holiness. He says, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he's merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But it does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's really where Paul takes us next. It's his next point, the second major characteristic of God that Paul is going to reveal to us here. Um, pick up your text again, Ephesians 5, 7 through 10. This is what he says. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
And so two characteristics. Number one, God is love. We already talked about that. Number two here, God is light. If we want to act like God our Father, Paul gives us those two commands. Walk in love. And then number two, walk as children of light. Now here's what I want you to notice. The text doesn't simply say walk in the light, right? He says walk in love. It doesn't say walk in light. He actually says walk as children of light because you are light. You are light in the Lord. That, that's part of your new identity. God is light and you are light as one of his children. He says, you were darkness. Like you weren't just in darkness. You were darkness. Your old identity, your old life, your BC life, your B before Christian life uh, was darkness. And you used to do some pretty shady things, right? Uh, but God who is light brought you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And as his child, you are now a child of light. And so act like it. Walk accordingly. Live like God. What characterizes light? Like what, what is light? In this passage, we see Paul says, everything that is good and right and true. Like these are the fruits. These are the things that characterize light. And so when you look at your life, is your life characterized by these things, by things that are good and right and true? Are things that are good and right and true coming out of your mouth? Are things that are good and right and true going through your mind, going through your heart, coming out through your actions? That's one of the ways you can tell. Are you walking in the light? Are you walking as light? Now, here's the thing about our culture and society today. Culture loves the idea of love, right? Like culture is down for love. All you need is love. Love wins. Live, laugh, love. But when it comes to light, our culture raises its fist in defiance. I don't want any part of that, right? Because light is holy. Light does what is right. Light is about truth. And so culture says, hey, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what's right and what's wrong. Don't tell me what's true and what's not. Don't define what's good and what's bad for me. That's what culture says because culture lives in darkness. And Paul lastly explains what happens when we walk as light in a culture of darkness around us. Last set of verses. Uh, he says this in verses 11 through 14. He says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So what does light do to darkness? Paul tells us here, it exposes what's there. What you couldn't see in the dark, you can now see in the light, right? When you're going through the kitchen at night and it's dark, boom, you stub your toe on the chair, right? But when it's light, you turn the lights on. It's like, oh, the chair's there. I'm just going to go around, right? When it's light, you can see what's there. It exposes what's in the darkness. But light not only exposes, it also attracts. Like think about your porch light at night, illuminating the area around it. You see all these like bugs and insects being drawn to the light, like, ooh, that's nice, right? And light exposes, but it also attracts. Have you ever heard that statement? Somebody tell you this before, maybe. There's something different about you. 
I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something different about you. Maybe you've heard that at work before. I definitely have heard that, not at this work when I'm working at the church, but when I was working like at the bagel shop, when I worked uh, as um, installing sprinklers, when I worked in construction, just like I, I heard that. And it's not because of me, but it's because of Christ in me, right? When you walk as light by pursuing what's good and right and true, when you run from sexual sin and greed, you're automatically standing out from the culture around you. And oftentimes that, that's actually attractive because people look at your life, they're like, that's what I want. Like, why does this person have so much love, joy, and peace? Why does this person have so much light from coming from their life? It's attractive. But also by not sleeping with a different person every single night or chiming in on the office gossip or using the means to justify the end in order to get more money or possessions or promotions or things, you're also um, being light and that light is shining into the darkness, into the things of darkness and exposing them for what they really are. And then it's also attracting those who are in the dark to the light of Christ. And that's really our goal, right? Like we don't light up the darkness in order to shame people or shun people. No, we want to light up the darkness so that people see the light of Christ, so that people see Christ himself, so that the darkness is lifted and the light of Christ comes into their life. That is what we want to see. And that's why he says, awake and arise, O sleeper. Christ will shine on you. And so the big two commands in here that really are summed up underneath uh, imitating God is walk in love and walk as light. That's how we, as God's children, act like him. So let me give you four quick practices here at the end. Number one, get serious about your sin. Like, don't just look at your sin and be like, yeah, it's probably fine. Don't listen to the culture around you. Paul says, don't be deceived, right? Don't let the culture around you tell you, yeah, that's sin. It's not a big deal in your life. Don't really worry about it. No, don't be content. Don't be sluggish about taking care of it. Get serious about it. And practice number two, one of the ways that you can really help with that is to surround yourself with godly people. Uh, this is one of the ways that we learn to act like God, by surrounding ourselves with followers of Jesus who are mature and living like Christ calls them to live. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul used this, uses the same imitation language when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Act like me as I act like Christ. And so who in your life is acting like Christ? Who in your life is imitating God? Start by imitating them. Practice number three, pursue holiness. Like don't merely focus on the sin in your life. Focus on what is holy, what is good, what is right, what is true, what is life and light and get that into your life that those things might dispel the sin and get them out of here. Pursue holiness in your life. And lastly, number four, awake and arise. Just like Paul says here, awake and arise. Now is the time for the church to awake and to arise. Because what God is looking for is people who are pursuing him, people who are pursuing holiness, people whose hearts and lives and minds and are, are attuned to his and to his will. And when that happens, what we begin to see is the first fruits of renewal. 
the first fruits of revival, the inbreaking of the kingdom as people in our church are being renewed and that is spreading out into the city and the light of Christ is going out and attracting those who are far from Christ into his marvelous light. Awake and arise, church. Now is the time. As we conclude here, I just want to draw you back to verse 2 for a moment. Uh, It says this, Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, maybe for you today, sin is weighing heavy on you. It feels like a huge burden that you cannot lift yourself. Maybe you're experiencing these feelings of shame and guilt. But what I want to tell you is that Christ loves you. He gave himself for you. He sacrificed himself on the cross for your sins. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you've been set free to live the life that God has designed for you. And if you're hearing that for the first time today and you don't follow Christ, I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. And you can ask Christ into your life and have him as your forgiver and your leader today. All you have to do is invite him in. Let me end with this passage uh, from 1 Peter that just beautifully sums everything up that we've said today. It says, live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He'll judge or reward according to what you do. And so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. What was it paid for? It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.